0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music, and more. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Awabakal, Darug, and Eora people. As long as there has been international trade, there have been pirates. Yes, those pirates. The kind that board vessels and steal money and cargo. The kind that take hostages and demand ransom. You know, Yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum, pillaging, plundering, yarr, that kind of thing. But today's pirates are a little different. On November 19th last year, the Israeli-owned vehicle transport ship Galaxy Leader was empty and travelling south along the Red Sea coast of Yemen when trouble arrived from the sky. armed houthi militants were dropped onto the deck of the ship by helicopter the ship was hijacked the crew taken hostage and escorted by yemeni boats to the port of hadaida where it was turned into kind of a bit of a local tourist attraction now it's pulling in the crowds and is increasingly a place of fun and recreation Over the last few months, Houthi militants have been using pirate tactics to attack dozens of cargo ships off Yemen's Red Sea coast, with helicopters, missiles and drones. Unlike Yo-Ho-Ho pirates, these guys don't want money. They want to strike back against Israel for their recent invasion of the Gaza Strip. We say to our brothers in Palestine, you are not alone. We are here with you until the last drop of our blood. These attacks are taking place on one of the world's most important shipping lanes. Now, the US won't get directly involved in the Israel-Gaza conflict. There's no appetite from the American people for that. But you can bet they will defend those trade routes. Under the cover of darkness, the US and the UK used Tomahawk missiles, launched from warships and fighter jets to hit a dozen sites. Joe Biden has dispatched the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower carrier strike group to the Red Sea to act as an extra deterrent and authorised multiple airstrikes against Houthi targets in Yemen. Explosions were heard in Yemen's capital, Sana'a, held by the Houthis. But he's admitted that it's not actually working. When you say working, are they stopping the Houthis? No. Are they going to continue? Yes. Are they working? No. Will they continue? Yes. I mean, props for honesty, we love that. We love that helicopter noise too, it's fantastic. But how exactly can you justify that? Well, the thing is, Biden really doesn't have much of a choice. This isn't about Palestine. It's not about Israel. It's not about war. It's about cargo trade routes, it's about money. It's about getting oil, gas, coal, food, machinery, clothes and Amazon packages to their destination. If they can't get this under control, there's plenty of other groups around the world, like Iran, who might decide to try their hand at blocking global trade as well. We're going to look more into what Iran's been up to lately in next week's episode, but today we're talking about the blockade Joe Biden has to break. I'm Matt Bevan, back for another year of sabotage, espionage and other words ending in age. and this is If You're Listening. Now, the Houthi movement is not something that many people outside of Yemen had heard of until about a decade ago. When they first burst onto the international scene in 2014, nobody really seemed to know how to spell their name. Were they horthies or Houthis? But when a militant rebel group takes control of a national capital city and deposes the government, that tends to draw a bit of attention. Since March last year, fighters from the Zaidi minority rebel group, known as the Houthis, have ruled these streets. The Yemeni civil war is really complicated. There's lots of different groups involved, all with different objectives. But in a classic, if you're listening, oversimplification, the deal is this. Up until the 90s, Yemen was split in two, like Korea or Dakota or a magnet. There was North Yemen and South Yemen. The names weren't really great because parts of South Yemen Yemen were north of North Yemen, but anyway, blame the British Empire for that. The two Yemen's were unified in 1990, but it didn't really take. Civil wars have racked Yemen for decades. After 30 years of civil war, most of what was once North Yemen is now controlled by the Houthis, a rebel militant group aligned with fellow militant groups beginning with H like Hamas and Hezbollah, and like Hamas and Hezbollah, they're backed by Iran. And I know that because I hear it in literally every report about Yemen. The Iranian-backed Houthis. Backed by Iran. The Houthis' ties to Shia, Iran. Meanwhile, the Yemeni government is in control of what was once South Yemen. And the Yemeni government is supported by Saudi Arabia, and they're supported by... US and UK military advisors, who assist in selecting targets to bomb. So, the Houthis, backed by Iran in the north, and the Yemeni government backed by the Saudis in the south. And Saudi airstrikes have been unsuccessfully attempting to unseat the Houthis for almost a decade, bombing the stunning, historically significant capital city of Sana'a over and over. It's really been very catastrophically bad. Hundreds of thousands have been killed mostly due to starvation. Yemen is the, the largest food insecurity crisis in the world. It's very sad. And crucially for our story, the war has left the Houthis, a militant group aligned with Hamas, in control of 400 kilometres of Red Sea coast. So, let me tell you about the Red Sea. Yeah, the one from the story about Moses and the stick. It's long and narrow And it looks like a caterpillar from above, with little antennae at the top. On one side is Africa, and on the other side is the Arabian Peninsula. And one of its antennae reaches all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, through the 150-year-old Suez Canal. It's the shipping industry's favourite rat run, cutting 10 days off the travel time for ships travelling between Asia and Europe. But it's not the first time that trade in the Red Sea has been threatened. All of this has happened before in an eerily similar way. See, 70 years ago, the British Empire learned a very, very important lesson about what happens when the Red Sea gets blocked. A lesson that America hasn't forgotten. From Alexandria, Egypt, Tone News brings you the latest incident to upset the chancelleries of the free world. It began in 1956, when the Egyptian dictator, Gamal Abdel Nasser, stood in front of a large crowd giving a speech broadcast live on the radio across the country. Millions of Egyptians tuned in to hear it. But three men in particular were listening especially hard. Because Nasser wasn't just giving a speech, he was sending a signal. The three men, were in charge of commando units and had been ordered to burst into the offices of the private, foreign-owned company in charge of the Suez Canal and take control of the waterway, but not until they heard the signal. The signal was going to come from the President himself over national radio. During this speech, he would say the name Ferdinand de Lesseps, the Frenchman who had developed the Suez Canal 90 years earlier. Now, I don't know why the signal had to come over the radio like this and couldn't be done with, like, a phone call. Uh, I assume NASA must just have loved the drama of it. In the speech, NASA said De Lesseps 13 times in the first couple of minutes. Just to make sure the commandos had heard the cue. Takeover took no time at all. President Nasser delivering his fiery speech, telling of his nationalization of the Suez Canal. For years at this point, Egypt had been blockading ships bound for the new Jewish state of Israel, hoping to starve Israel of resources until it, you know, packed up and left. But now the conflict had reached a fever pitch. NASA announced that the Egyptian government now had total control over which ships passed through the Suez Canal, just 10 minutes after ordering it in the same speech. NASA was now the captain of the Caterpillar. It already sees the canal. What next? Now a lot of countries weren't happy about this, but none of them were grumpier than the British Empire. Britannia, Britannia ruled the waves For almost 200 years after it was written, this song was basically true. Britannia did rule the waves. But now that control was under threat. At the Portsmouth Naval Base, Britain prepares for the worst in the Suez Crisis. So the Royal Navy swung into action, ready to do the thing they'd been doing for two centuries, using big, big cannons to make sure that British trade could flow freely. The aircraft carrier Theseus is the first to leave for the Mediterranean, to be quickly followed by the carriers Bulwark and Ocean. The British, along with French and Israeli troops, invaded Egypt to try and take back control of the canal. In response, NASA deliberately sank dozens of old ships, blocking the canal completely. Hulks were scuttled as barricades and the canal was closed to British, French and Israeli ships. The Brits might have succeeded, but for one big problem, they didn't ask the Americans first. The United States was not consulted in any way about any phase of these actions, nor were we informed of them in advance. The canal had been blocked, and America did not want the canal blocked. We believe these actions to have been taken in error. The American President Dwight Eisenhower told Britain to get the hell out of there so the canal could reopen. It was incredibly embarrassing for the British government. In London's famed Trafalgar Square, the mass meeting is addressed by Labour radical Anirin Bevan. I'm fairly confident that it's actually pronounced Bevan. A polemic oration that goads the crowd into demanding the resignation of the Prime Minister. The British Prime Minister did resign, and the Suez Crisis is generally considered the last gasp of the British Empire, the day that Britannia no longer ruled the waves. There was very much a new sheriff in town. And it was the country that says stuff like, there is a new sheriff in town. America has worked pretty hard in recent years to make sure they don't see a repeat of the sewers Crisis. And to do that, they've enlisted the help of a very small country called Djibouti. Djibouti is dry and hot. It has mountains and a salty lake, but not much by the way of tradable resources. What it does have, though, is a stable government and a safe harbour in the Horn of Africa at the southern end of the Red Sea, right at the caterpillar's butt. If you want to go through the Suez Canal, you've got to go through this region, and it's dangerous. It's estimated pirates are currently holding 14 ships and 260 crew around the world, Back in the noughties, and we really have to come up with a better name for that decade, pirates operating off the coast of Somalia were prolific. It's the third attack on a cruise ship since December. And then there was someone coming and said so we are being attacked by pirates, slide it out an of there and get the hell out of here. This was unacceptable to the world's biggest economies. And I want to be very clear uh, that we are resolved to halt the rise of piracy uh, in that region. China, France, Italy, Japan, Saudi Arabia, the UK and the US all established military bases in Djibouti. Our presence in Djibouti contributes to the Djiboutian people. We are the third largest employer in Djibouti with Camp Lemonet. And went to work eliminating the pirate threat. With split-second precision, each of the three pirates was shot in the head simultaneously. Piracy in the region dropped from dozens of attacks in 2009 to zero by 2017. But pirates, armed men in little boats who are trying to make a profit, are different from militants like the Houthis. The Houthi militants aren't out for money, they're just trying to interrupt global trade. And that's proving much harder to deal with than regular pirates. The Yemeni armed forces reiterate they will continue to prevent Israeli vessels from navigating in the Arab or the Red Sea. The real issue for America is not that the Houthis are blocking the path of goods getting to Israel. It's that they could inspire other countries to attack other shipping routes. Already Iran, which like the Houthis is backed by Iran, has started attacking and seizing ships sailing off their coast in the strategically important Strait of Hormuz. Though not at the same rate the Houthis have been doing it, yet. Back in 1956, the Egyptian regime finished off the ailing British Empire by blocking off a crucial waterway. The Houthis aren't going to finish off the Americans. But if the Iranians decide to really get in on this blockade action, I mean, it could escalate pretty quickly. If You're Listening is written by me, Matt Bevan. Supervising producer is Yasmin Parry. Next week, one of the things that amazes me is how a very small thing can have incredible global implications. I'm going to tell you one of those stories about how one man's cancer diagnosis triggered a series of events that has led Iran and the United States to the brink of open conflict. The story of the Shah's last six years is next on If You're Listening. If you want some more analysis on the current situation, check out the ABC's new podcast, Global Roaming, with Geraldine Doog and Hamish McDonald. In their latest episode, they explore the pressure on Joe Biden to take stronger action on Iran and whether that's likely to solve anyone's problems. I'll catch you next week.